played the silver ball From Seoul down to Brighton I must have played them all But I ain't seen nothing like it In any amusement hall That deaf, dumb, blind kid Sure plays a mean dead ball Talking to the people involved with collecting, playing, repairing, restoring and operating pinball and arcade culture around New Zealand and beyond. You are listening to Simon's Pinball Podcast. I'm back in Auckland, and I'm in Glenside, which... That's no, our Sunnyside. Sunnyside. Sorry. No, sorry. What are you talking about? Sunnyside Road in Sunnyvale. Oh, Sunnyvale. Yes, yeah, Sunnyvale. Why, why did, where did I get Glenside from? No, you're probably thinking of Glen Eden, which is just... Oh, okay. I don't know Auckland, yeah. but um, I've come up. It's a wintry, wintry weekend. It's just as bad in Wellington weather-wise. I'm talking to Phil Hannon. He has kindly agreed to talk to me for my podcast series. So, hey, Phil. How are you? Not too bad. Oh, well, I've actually got, I've got the flu today, so my voice will sound a little bit, uh, bit more husky than normal. Well, yeah. I hope you're up for the interview, so um, uh, that's great. You Thanks for inviting me into your house. and we can. I've been here before about 20 years ago. Uh, I think one of the early pincades, I came up with my friend Steve, and we dropped off a bingo machine, which we'll, well talk about. Probably wasn't 20 years ago, but it's a little bit less. 15, 15. Well, you reckon it's that long, anyway. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I actually, might be, yeah, it might be only 10, but anyway... Yeah. I uh, have been here before, and um, we'll talk about the bingo games later. Mm-hmm. But um, first of all, um, you you emailed me after I did my last podcast with Phil Ward and Roger Newman, and you filled in some of the gaps in that conversation, which we can go over a little bit. Um, maybe we can start off with that, um, Phil, just, just to sort of, because you, you've been around pinball for quite a long time. Yeah, I started sort of in, the, in my late teens, basically. Um, that's how I met Phil Wood. I would have been probably early twenties at that, that stage when I first met Phil. He came into the. Uh, I used to work in an amusement arcade. One of, one of the operators in a in little arcade in Avondale, and he came in one day and he was a. He just bought an old EM pinball, I think, from memory, and um, he was sort of keen on this thing. So we got chatting and stuff, and became quite a good friends. And um, yeah, so. We started getting into it. that stage. It was basically the end of the um, the pinball. The days of EMs were phasing out, but there was still a few of them out there, and uh, the home market was sort of semi starting to take off a bit. So in the mid eighties, what it would have been, um, Phil and I used to buy um, old EM pinballs, basically. Cool. And we'd fix them up over his place. Um, I was living with my parents then, so I didn't have the room. So. Um, I used to drive over to his place in um, um, Glenfield there, and we'd um, basically fix up games, sell them on, and we were a bit the same. He was buying games for himself for home, and I was doing the same with mine. Um, so it was never done for, you know, this makes some money sort of thing. But it was quite good. We got around the countryside, and um, we bought, I think, the last of the games that um, the Palmerston North uh, Pinball Club had. That, that was through Earl Quick and um, 
New Plymouth at that stage, I think he was. So the, the Palmerston yeah. North Pinball Club were just getting out of pinball, were they? I'm not sure. We got the game through real quick. No, I'm sorry. They, they, they wanted to cash up to buy some newer solid state ones. And we bought probably a dozen EM games off them. And we hired a uh, furniture trailer, drove down there, loaded them all up. From It was New Plymouth. Earl had shipped them back to New Plymouth because I think he'd sold them some later solid state games. And we basically bought the EMs, fixed them up at Phil's place, sold them on. Um, so it was a, a little bit of a hobby thing. And um, it sort of grew a bit. And then Phil used to have a, uh, used to work with his dad in the garden centre. And that, his dad retired to the business and Phil got into the games a bit more operating. Um, and at that stage, he was bringing games in second hand from Australia. Um, some of the games were cool were Fireball uh, Classic, um, Motor Dome, Gold Wings, uh, Raven. So it was sort of the Williams, because we weren't getting that stuff here. We were at that stage getting really the Williams stuff that Roger was bringing in. Right. So Phil was bringing in stuff from the States and Australia used and operating a few games. And, um, as, and as part of the hobby, we both got a joint. We, we, we decided to get a subscription to um, Coin Meter magazine back then so I paid for half he used to so I was over Phil's quite a bit used to visit quite often so I'd read through the um, magazine and see what's going up and at that stage one of the, the issues where I spotted um, Dana Reese had just brought out um, Secret Service and I made the comment to Phil that um, oh it's an interesting sort of game and I said um, it's a pity we probably won't get it here because we don't have a, a Dana Reese agent and I just sort of thought that Phil basically was already importing games anyway, so he was into that, so he you know, knew all about that. And I and I sort of suggested, um, you know, you could always ask them. Do you, do you, do you want to be an agent? Phil was a, he was a little bit sceptical, thinking, oh, they're not going to give it to me. But he but he was he was interested. He thought, oh, you give it. So you give it. So he gave it a go, and they turned around and said, yep, you can be our agent. And um, that's how the original Secret Services came in. He, he so they'd already done in. Torpedo Alley and Laser, no, no, that Laser was later. War. Laser War was their first one. Laser War was their first one. And their Secret Service was their second oh, was one. Was their second title? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, then Phil got the agency and he was bringing in games. And then we were both a little bit chuffed in the fact that oh, that was quite easy to get an agency, wasn't it? And then um, I sort of said to him, uh, well, nobody's got me, so you might as well write to them as well. So he did and they... Um, Yep, they turned around and said, yeah, fine, we don't have a Zealand agent, you can be the Gottlieb agent as well. So that's when he started bringing in the, um, you know, all your, all your Gottlieb games and the Data East games, and he went from there and he became, uh, yeah, remember the first uh, Gottlieb game was Diamond Lady. He bought those in brand new. Um, he wasn't bringing in the numbers that Roger was of the Williams games, but um, some of the games, he put ones and twos, but I think... Street Fighter was probably his biggest. There was 30 odd of those, I think, came in. Like full container. Yeah, he said that Street Fighter was a big title. Yeah. Um, I think, like, Diamond Ladies, he put about two in. Um, some of the games, like Torpedo Alley, was only one, I think. Secret Services were probably Was four, he bringing five. them in to cust- for customers or just yeah, on spec? Yeah, they were unordered. I think he bought some in for himself because he used to operate. Um, yeah, and then the other one he got a bit later on, which was short lived, um, was Alvin G. He was the official agent for Alvin G, but he, he bought a couple of those. I think he bought a couple of those table stock of things in, um, and that the, um, the Magic Castle. He put one in, I think, or two was it? One or two, and then there was that Pistol Poker thing. And he bought the one in. 
he, he, he located that and the guy bought it pretty quickly. So I've never seen one, never played one here, but there is one floating around. It was the double-ended soccer game as yeah, well. Yeah, there was about, about two or three of those came in, I think. Yeah. Mm. So that was the boom sort of time. And um, and you knew Roger back in those days? Sort well? of, yeah, but Roger and I have known each other a very long time, but I don't, we just bump into each other. We don't have any business dealings as such. Um, so, you know, we know each other, but we don't. In recent years, I've sold off the remains of Roger's games and boards out of his uh, workshop. You might see a lot of stuff on Trade Me, and I've done a few of those Silver Dollar Guns, rebuilt them and stuff. Um, yeah, so that, but um, yeah, just, just, just with, um, with a fill of it more, with Phil, yeah, we, after Phil was the uh, agent, um, him and I decided we we were going to one of the AMO A shows. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So we went to one of the shows there in Chicago. Him and I. And um, at that stage, there was uh, the games that were out. There was a Williams Taxi and Banzai Run, and Bally had the truck stop. Bally was was owned by Williams then, but they were trying to run it as a separate separate business. They didn't eventually. They became one. And Gottlieb had Bad Girls and Data East was Time Machine. Um, and because Phil was the agent for Data East and Gottlieb, um, we did a personal tour of the um the plant and that's where we met Gil Pollock at Gottlieb and then Gary Stern actually picked us up from the hotel we were staying at and he took us to the plant and then that night he phoned us up and he took us out for dinner so we had uh-huh. dinner with Gary and he cool. had a few stories about his days of you know building machines and when his dad was around and stuff so that was quite interesting um and then from that from then on I saw it then Phil also attended though there was a Williams um release of the game video game Narc and him and Roger went to that I didn't bother going to that one, and then after that, after that, we Phil and I headed off down to um, Disney World, right? And because Phil and I both like theme parks and stuff, so that was quite a. So we did a little trip down down to uh, Disney World on on, on the same trip. Um, yeah, with our uh, Roger, um, yeah, I've known Roger quite a long time, but we just keep bumping into each other in various things. But I've never had many business business dealings with him. Um, uh, until recent years, as I said, I basically cleared out his garage of most of the stuff he had in there, all his old video games, and there was, there was a couple of, there was a firepower pinball I sold off for him, a Batman pinball that was in there that was been in Fun City for since it was new, basically. That, that was the only place it, it, it had ever been. So tell me a bit about the Fun City, because you have a good memory of the Yeah, the Fun City, um, yeah, he was, it was down by the picture theatre block there, um, yeah, it was like a long, narrow place, and then it was basically, uh, yeah, Roger had a lot of, um, the, all his new pinballs went in there. My earliest re- recollection down there, I've seen it packed, was one night when the early electronics came out, and I remember there was the World Cup soccer, it was World Cup, and Disco Fever was in there. Right. And the sound of those things was like, you know, and it was just like, you just could not get on them, they were just like, going flat out, you know, um, because they were the new technology and everything. Yeah, was that, that, that was like the latest. Because we, prior to that, you really only had your EMs. I mean, you had prior to you had like your hot tip, which was Bell still with electronic, you know, digital scoring. But when those electronic noises, like a World Cup, and your disco fever, and you had and a little bit later was when I was their flash and stuff. I remember those being in there, and you could you just couldn't get on them. Eh? They were just uh, on a Friday night downtown. They, they were just non-stop. Those things wow. just went, 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 went. Yeah, and Roger's arcade's probably being... Yeah, there used to be one up the road a bit further called um, Luna Park, but that wasn't as quite as busy, I think, because he was further away mm. uh, from the main centre. Because and Roger's the, was right by the Civic Theatre, he had all the picture theatres there. 
Yeah, and on the like video side, spot. there was Space Invaders. Which yeah, was that, that came in a bit later. I remember going in there when they had EM games, all shooting galleries and even EM pinballs, basically, back in, you know, the um, used to do the little... There's a few other arcades in town that have gone now, but his one probably lasted the, the longest out of all of them until it got to the point as um, I was talking to him one day down there and we were... Um, um, yeah, one Sunday I wandered in and there was only me in the shop with him. And we... Uh, he decided, oh, bugger this fool, we'll close the shop up, go next door and have a coffee. Yeah. So we went next door and had a coffee and we came back and about half an hour later opened the place up again and he probably had one customer wanted in and he, you know, he was... He, he, it was like he could, you could see the writing on the wall. It wasn't making, wasn't wasn't worth operating. Yeah, he, he hadn't really survived because he actually owns the building. Yeah, at the front city. This in, is so the Queen Street location yeah, you're talking yeah, about there, but yeah, it wasn't two different locations. Yeah, well, what happened then? They decided to revamp the um, the picture theatres, the Regent stuff got all built, and all that block got closed up as part of the, the renovations. Front city got changed as well. The inside of that got all old, got amended, and everything. So it's the same basic location and shape. But I remember the inside of the building got changed quite a bit, so they basically got re- rebuilt it all. <coughs> and he temporarily went up the road opposite the town hall entrance and he opened a shop. Um, and then that was called Fun City 2. But it was only a temporary. And I remember it was the same time as Hyperball came out. Because I remember going in there and seeing Hyperball. Uh, and then that's when it was there. So that would have been what eighty one or eighty two. Eighty one or eighty two. Yeah, probably eighty two by the time it got to New Zealand. Yeah. Because he was telling me how great it was doing. You know, the game was doing. He's going to order some more. They were just you know phenomenal money makers. We'll talk um, about Hyperball soon. Yeah, because but, we've, um, we've got a Hyperball connection. Yeah, because I remember that's 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 when it was. Because I remember going in there talking to him about it. As I said, I never bought. I never actually bought anything off him. Uh, but we always used to discuss games and stuff. You know. As we went, I, I went in there. Well, but, it was great to actually get an opportunity to chat with him um, mm. last time I was up, um, because he is such a, a figure in in the coin op industry in Auckland, as yeah. you are as well. Mm. Um, so, so um, at that stage when you when Phil was, I think Phil was a bit lost there, but Phil wouldn't have been familiar with it, uh, with that whole setup then. So yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think. I yeah. think, and also Roger had forgotten his hearing aid, and I think the conversation was just a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, so when Fun City got revamped and reopened, he moved everything back into there, and they did both run for a while together. They were both open for a little while until he, um, uh, I think it was, you sort of end up competing with yourself, really. Like you, like you, you weren't really doing double the money, in effect, you were just splitting your, your income. So he closed up the other one, I think, and just moved it back to, back to Fun City, really. Um, and and operated. Do you there. know much like um, when Roger talked about the the the, the penny games as he called yeah, them? Yeah, the war the mounted games. Yep. So he said that um, I was a little bit unclear about how much of it, how much of those items were being made in New Zealand. Oh, so all the metal, them. all the metal yep. parts yep. were being made. Yeah, well, here. Well, what it did, um, Roger told me the little bit of story behind it. I don't know, I don't know the whole story, a little bit. But I think he said his dad ran a convenience store, milk bar, something like that, years yeah. ago, and had one in there. And that stage, he used to import them. To New Zealand, yeah, and Roger sort of got into the and he decided, um, I can make these things myself, whatever you know. So he used to bring one in as a sample. I think he pretty sure he told me the golf one was his first one, right? And he basically got them all made, loaded them into his car, drove around the whole of the all of New Zealand, popping into every little takeaway, every little place he could see, and sold them, yeah. And he said, um, as he was telling me the day, he said they he used to go there, put them on the wall. Go 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 back after two months, 
Yeah, but you know, doing a recycle tour, and the money in it would actually cover the cost of building the machine. Yeah, and then he'd offer it to the shopkeeper, because the shopkeeper would see how much was money in it. Right. The shopkeeper would actually um, say, "Oh, that's a really great little money spinner. I'll buy it." So Roger would go, then go do his second little tour, and basically sell all the machines, and that's how he made his money. <laughs> and um, yeah, he basically got all his money back out of the money that actually went in them. And um, yeah, he told me he made over a thousand of those. Wow. Of those little, those little the golf uh, ones. The golf one, the, yeah. the, I've got one, a few people have got them, you know, yeah. like the moulded cast yeah. yes. things. Um, they pop up on Trade Me Now, someone was trying to get three and a half thousand. Oh, crazy, yeah. Madness. Yeah, they, they, yeah. I don't see them selling for that. No, not so. Then, um, yeah, then he started doing a few others. He did the um, um, the fortune teller one. He put the money in the little doll spins around. Yeah. He made those. And if you read through some of the comments, I sort of asked him about one of them and said, and it said um, beware of of giant caterpillars. Yeah, the, says, the 12 foot caterpillar. Yeah, something like that. I yeah. said, where did that come from, Roger? What's that? He, 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 says, he goes, oh, no. He says, we, him and as he mentioned on his interview, I don't know quite sure what their business arrangement was, but um, he, him and his business, his, uh, Lou Johnson invented all those little bits on there. And that was one of Lou Johnson's ones. He just, they were running, running obviously, it sounds like they're running out of ideas and thought, oh, Whack, we'll whack that on there, and so yeah, he made all those. He did the um, yeah, he did the flip balls. Uh, he, he must have made a heck of a, 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 a lot of those. And you talked about bomb the tank. Yeah, I think that's why he I must have heard. made it because when I was in his workshop selling for all the stuff, I found a brand new um, back surround for one, and the little tiny little there's like a little light. That when you bomb the tank, you've got a penny, you roll it, it drops down, it's a switch, and turns on a red light and a buzzer. And I found a whole pile of these little red light things in there, and I found one brand new back surround. And I'm thinking, he probably made those as well, but I don't, you know, they're not that common though, bomb the I've tanks. never seen that one. I've yeah, seen no, the I've, golf, I've got the one. football, the yeah. lady luck. Yeah, and then in addition to that, he also used to, um, Import parts, you know the silver dollar guns and the kicker catcher and the pots of gold. Right. He used to bring all those parts in, and he used to assemble all the wooden cabinets here, and build them, basically. So, you know that's so all those ones you see in New Zealand generally all made by him, the kicker catcher and the uh, pots of gold. Now, can you now can you, now producing pinball machines here? Yes. They did actually make one. I was going to ask you just just yeah. before you talk about that. <coughs> now I talked to Howard and he said that Gottlieb games could come and complete, but the Williams games had to be assembled here. No, they had to come in as parts. Do you know anything? No, about no, that? I think there's sort of a bit of half stories. Um, what happened originally is that you couldn't bring in complete games. No, um, because um, that, you know it's competing. So unless you could show that you were going to bring them in to use them to make games here. Uh, this is where Roger told me, and he got the Williams agency, right? Mm. Back in the early 60s sometime. And um, he was thinking, oh my God, how am I going to get these games in because I don't have a license, right? So he um, he decided he'll bring one in. He told me the name of the game, I've forgotten, I've forgotten what it was now, but he said that was the first game he ever imported brand new. Him and Lou Johnson then just proceeded to build a game based on the, the, the technology in this thing. Yeah. The name of it was Mr. Lucky. Mr. Lucky. Lucky. Mr. Lucky. I've never seen it, but I know Rogers told me about it, and I know an, and another operator who's seen it as well. Back back in the 70s, he's seen it. So it did exist. Uh, Roger has no idea where it went to. He said 
Louis Johnson's the only guy that would know where that went to, and he's not here anymore. Um, so, so the playfield was was an original design. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So they built that, and then apparently they eased off the restrictions on some of these things because they weren't viable to make them here. Yeah. Um, and so that's when Roger was able to actually bring in games as the Williams agent brand new. Right. Um, and I think yeah, I'm not sure the full rules and regulations. I think it could have been stuff on new stuff and new stuff. Um, yeah, I think a lot of stuff like people used to fill all the books, and um, if you took them a game, took it all apart, and bought it, you could have spare parts. And then just build the cabin in here and put it together and you've got a game base. So well, it might be the clock's in a New Zealand cabin. <coughs> but it's got yeah. um, proper Williams playfield and back glass and everything. Yeah. But the cabinet's different. Yeah, I'm not sure about that side. But, but 63, that was. Yeah, but I don't, don't think we really made games here as such like that. Um, I know there's only that one that was a one-off. Right. I know, definitely know that it's called Mr. Lucky, where it is or what happened to it. Who knows? Hmm. It could have been trashed by now or how, what the game played like or... I don't know, but I'm guessing, I'm guessing it had Williams working in it. You talked about Phil importing them secondhand from Australia. And the States, yeah. And the States. Was that just because they were cheaper secondhand? Oh, no, yeah. And also the fact is we didn't have that those games here. Um, I, I'm always a firm believer as, as, as a novelty thing with pinball. So if everybody else has got all these Williams games out there, um, you, you want something different, don't you? You know, to, to somebody else going to play. So you might as well bring in the second-hand games that people haven't played. The technology is basically the same in them. They're only like a year or two older, and the price is half as much at that stage. And um, you can probably do just as well out of them. You know, as I said, there was a few. I remember a few. I remember a few of the titles. Oh, there was um, Spy Hunter was another one he brought in mm-hmm. secondhand. Uh, but that was basically the fact is we never had Bally's and Gottlieb's coming in of recent era. It was all Williams stuff that Roger was bringing in. Right. So it was a case of Romans would bring some of those in. That's why there's not many of those you known as mid eighties Gottlieb stuff around. There's you know, sort of and all the, the system, stuff prior to that was all, was all used, it was all second hand as well. Like your pen theories and that stuff came from Aussie most of that. Your second hand. Yeah. Um that's what Yope was doing, eh? Yopi and Tapo was bringing them in second hand from Australia. I yeah, it could have been. I don't know. Um, yeah, him and Roger were tied in somehow as well because I know they had a, they were quite a lot of. Um, we'll move on to Yopi in a minute. Yeah, Ye, Ye would call him Yopi. Yeah. Um, I guess that's how you pronounce his name. Yeah, that's what Roger called him as yeah, well. So. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Um, so, uh, so that's really really interesting. You, so your involvement with Phil and uh, Roger to some extent, um, and then and then and your interest when when your interest in pinball was was what. Um, apart from yeah, working together with Phil and oh, well, I've always um, liked the the, the sheer um, just especially on oh, the EMs mainly like a jukeboxes is another one. I just love the whole the way they work, the mechanics of them, and how they get to get them to do to you know, actually do things that they do. You count the scores and reset and little features and stuff how they work. Um, so the EMs were the main attraction basically at that stage because I just like the I, mean, I, like, I, I like playing them as well. That was a bit yeah. of appeal. Um, but I'm just really fascinated by the mechanical workings of them, how they, um, how they all worked, and I really got into that side of. Um, um, uh, yeah, my first ever pinball. Yeah, one of the questions you wanted to ask was about the the, the earliest memory of pinball. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that was a little local takeaway on the way home, and it used to be. Um, it was, I can't remember the name of the game, but it was a fifties game. I remember that because it was um, it was a manual ball lift, and it was five balls a game. We pushed up the old ball, and it was, it was sweep score. And it had gobble holes as well. I remember that. So it was definitely a fifties game, and you, you, you used to be ten cents a game. You used to put in there. 
Now, it sounds cheap in today's money, but I remember at the same time, you could buy a, a portion of chips for 10 cents as well, or a bottle of Coke for 10 cents. So yeah. if you put that in perspective, you're looking at, you know, two bucks at least for a game or sure. anything. And after school, it was, it was the same. It was You had to queue up to get on the get on the thing. We should explain uh, what a double hole is. Um, yeah, that's where basically um, it sort of phased them out in the, in the late 50s, didn't they? Um, yeah, gobble hole is like a, rather than a kick-out hole, the ball goes into it. It gives you usually a fairly high score, but that's the end of your ball, it's gone. Yeah, it's like a drain. It's a yeah, drain. But, but it's in the centre of the play in field. the centre of the play field, yeah. Yeah, so it's... Uh, so I remember that, but I don't remember the um, name of the game. Um, I just remember you after school you had a job to put you to get onto. It was a, it was either a choice of do I buy myself some chips, or do I have a game on this thing? And usually <laughs> the chips would run out, ran out. You was the winner because you just couldn't be bothered waiting around to to get on the pinball basically. So um, they must have made good money, but mind you, back then you know as we discussed earlier, there was all sorts of import complications and taxes and duties and all these things so games here are really run and run and run so even that even though that was a 50s game that would have we're talking early 70s it would have still been operated mm. when in the states it would never happen it would have been replaced with a newer model yeah but over here we basically paid a premium for them um and so we used to run them and there was import licensing so bringing stuff in was restrictive so games here are really their, their working life was quite long, basically. Yeah. That's why it's really quite hard here to find a decent game from the 60s that's not been worn out because um, they were just played and played and played because you know we just didn't have the numbers coming in. You know? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Do you know collectors that, that, that favour those early games? Uh, no, one guy, he's about 20-odd, he only collects 60s, 70s games. Right. He only wants EM stuff from the 60s and 70s. Um, you know the odd one, he's got the odd... 60s game but um, yeah there's only one I know he's in uh, Narawahia uh, Wayne um, and he's got about 22 I think EM just 60s 70s games mm. that's, that's all he wants he you knew Rod Cornelius so he was yeah briefly yeah I, I met him a couple of times I didn't know him that that sort of well I went to his place in Devonport a couple of times I think he had some interesting old arcade games yeah I little, think he was into the really old stuff yeah, I remember. I remember seeing at an auction once, many many years ago, when I was in oh, about seventeen. There was an auction, some old operator. I think his name was Collier. Was was the operator's name? Uh, you know, he was prior to Roger, I think. And he was a warehouse full of these old arcade games and old pinballs from to the sixties and some arcade. It was all EM stuff. That's where the Miss Universe uh, came from. That was no, no, that was that was oh, oh Rod, Rod Cornelius. Rod Cornelius sold it to me, and then I sold it to you. But yeah, we'll but I think Rod Cornelius got that off of John Judd, who got it off somebody else. Right, oh, so it's been around a bit. Yeah, it's been around. Get on to the bingos in a minute. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, yeah. So that, 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 was, that was my earliest. Um, so you know, I remember playing pinball was mm. the little takeaway on the on the way home. Yeah. Uh, besides that, it was generally trips into town, going to the likes of Fun City and. All that was when I was you know able a little bit older, sort of early teens, and get on the bus and um, go to town, sort of thing. So that that was the big little outing on a on a weekend. Cool. Downtown, but yeah, locally there wasn't really much pinball wise. Yeah. I can remember a top score being in the Chinese takeaway in the local shops, but yeah, that's about it really. And yeah. and and you you've sort of become the the number one repair guy in Auckland, I would say. Uh yeah, Have because you... basically. Um, I've been doing it for so long. Yeah. And so I do the EM stuff and the modern stuff. 
and I'll also go out to your house and do it. Uh, when you had the likes of like you know um, you know Danny Gelb was around doing it, Mr Pinball Doctor, Doctor was he the you had, Doctor? yeah you had to take it to him basically. Right. You know there was no going to your house to do it. Uh, do you find that you can repair stuff in one, in one on one visit or do you need uh, to? It depends. EM stuff generally can. Um, solid state stuff because you, you know, depending on the component and people aren't very you know. They're, they're not really afraid on the terminology or things that are wrong with games. And, yeah. You know, quite often the most common one you'll get like, oh, the game's going, the lights come on, but it won't go. And so you think, oh, it can't be, it must be a switch fold batteries gone flat. And when you get there, the CPU's not even booting, they haven't even noticed the displays aren't going. You know, so you've got to really quiz them. Right. And then you say, the display's coming on. Oh, oh, you need to know that, do you? You know, it's like, okay. And you've got to say, what's the name of the game? You know, tell me the name of the game. Oh, what do you need to do that for? There's no need of the make of game. Give me, you know, what age it is, what parts will need, and they just don't. Yeah. They sort of tend to think that a pinball is a pinball, and, and they don't sort of, um, yeah, they don't. Yeah, so it can be a bit of a pain. Because quite often you go there to fix one fault, and then you'll find there's, there's half a dozen faults. It's a whole can of worms, isn't it? Yeah, and you say, well, I'll fix that part. It was quite simple, but you got this not working, that's not working, that's not working, that's not working, and I said, I don't have those bits with me, so I have to come back, sort of thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a common um, event. Um, basically, yeah. And you're self-taught with with, yep. with this repair work. Well, I got a when I first um, when I first oh yeah because my f- little bit you yeah because when I first got in, in, into the um, the business I was never really in the business per se it was more like a hobby type of, of interest when I was in my late teens it was um, the video boom had just hit and pinballs were disappearing basically because right. um, operators were making far more money out of um, video games or they were pinballs less maintenance and the rest of it and sites wanted video games and, you know, they made far more money um, and the local uh, there was a local arcade I opened in Avondale called the uh, Fun Factory and there was originally Video Village had a pile of games in there there used to be a company that they're gone now um, anyway they had a falling out with the owners of the place and they got a pile of other operators to put stuff in just to keep the place going, there was a few old pinballs, and there was a um, there was an old operator called Mister Henry Dobby. He was called the Professor. Apparently, he was quite well known back then. Um, and he, I was talking to him, an old triple action actually in there, and he was taking it out one day, and I said, "Oh, do you ever sell these? You know, what do you?" You know, he goes, "Oh, I've got some old fifties games. You want to look? You might, you know, I could probably sell one of those to you if you wanted one." So. He had a, a mate over the shore who, who had them, went over there and ended up buying a game called um, Tic-Tac-Toe, which is a 1959 game, sweep score, lift needle ball, lift gobble holes on it as well. Williams? Yep, Williams. Yep. Um, and then the funniest thing about that, um, when I took it apart, it's got written on the back of it, Roger Newman. And when I was talking to Roger Newman a few years later, he goes, oh yeah, I bought that in second hand for, 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 for Henry years ago. So it's quite a funny little, you know, so Roger was bringing his second-hand games even back then, so it's with us actually got Roger Newman written on it. So that was obviously when they were packing it, they folded it over and they wrote on the back. Right. It's destined for Roger, you know, in New Zealand sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I bought that there, and I basically, I, I got it home, and I basically put it in, in the basement, my dad's parents' place, and it was on 10 cents a game, as they were, but the old old games like that, and uh, all the neighbourhood kids used to come around. It cost me 200 bucks to buy the thing, and I think I made $200 out of it sitting in the parents' basement, so it virtually paid for itself. Um, then another operator by the name of uh, Rod White 
used to do a lot of repair work back then. He was probably Auckland's number one repair person back in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and I was talking to him one day about games and stuff, and I told him I had an old tic-tac-toe at home, and he goes, oh, you bloody mad, who the hell has games at home? He was big at that stage, hardly anybody did. It was like a... And I said, oh, no, I quite like tinkering around and stuff. And he goes, oh, I've got an old one, he says, it's in the workshop. He says it needs a lot of work. And it was called an egghead. This was a good goddamn 60s. He said, you can have it for 70 bucks if you want. And I said, oh, okay. So we drove over, it wasn't far from Avondale, it was in Waterview Way, which is only about oh, a kilometre away. And he ended up buying that. Took, took it home. Um, got it all working. But back then, parts were a real mission, especially for Gottlieb games, because you... Williams Roger carried quite a lot, but anything else was a bit weird. And it ended up having to make a, made a, it was missing, uh, one of the flippers was broken, the little small flippers. So it ended up making two out of wood. Oh, wow. Shaping them out of wood. My dad was a cabinet maker, so he put the wood hanging around, shaped them out of wood, painted them all up red and stuff, put them on, so it had little little wooden flippers. <laughs> they actually worked fine. They worked as good as the plastic ones, but they were, you know, the proper shape, they are just made out of wood. And that, that, that was a tidy machine that would have got it all going. Um, we had a neighbour I couldn't quite back then saying I was in the like, I didn't know a heck of a lot about them and one of the neighbours he was into electronics and stuff and fixing uh, stereos and stuff came over and he managed to find the last little thing to do with the um, well the gate wouldn't close on the um, there was on those like, manual ones and the five balls roll out and then you score and the gate closes and the gate wasn't closing so he just kicked me around and around so he figured that part out which was just a switch yeah, I found out. That's when I discovered that Gottlieb don't work on the same way as Williams. Because I was trying to look at it from a Williams perspective, because I had a Williams tic-tac-toe, but the egghead was a different system, So he, because he didn't know, and of course he figured out, because not knowing it wasn't you know, that, no, no, oh, right, okay, so we got that figured. And yeah, and then um, so I had two machines sitting in my house, and then um, another one popped up, and being a student back then, had any had any money, and I think that was a uh, oh, El Toro. That was a Bally El Toro. I didn't quite have the money to buy it, so I flogged off the egghead to somebody, took the money from that and bought the El Toro. Same thing, and I operated that in the arcade I was working in. Right. And that paid for itself as well. And then someone came along and bought that as well. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, the guy who ran the arcade was uh, Keith Davidson. Um, and he, at that stage, had a partner called Jim. They ran the, the, the amusement arcade, but Jim went out of the business and Keith um, stayed in it, and he became uh, Minus Coin, who then brought out um, Wizard Coin in Auckland. Right. And now that's who Brett Carter was, was working for. Now Brett's now brought the business off Keith. There's Keith's in um, um, ill health, but I've known, oh, God, 30, oh, close on 40 years now I've known Keith. You know, that's when I, um, yeah, we used to also buy and sell games. And operate a few for a while, mm. and I was the same with uh, Rod White. Right. Uh, Rod White and I used to because he was the same. He was busy operating his own little round, and he had some, you know, young guy keen on getting these games all working and stuff. And he he came across some broken down games and stuff, so he'd flick them over to me. And between them, we and so he he gave me a few pointers on the early electronic stuff and some of the EM stuff. We got a bit stuck because he had years of experience, and so I learned a little, a little bit from him. Uh, but then yeah, as time's gone on same with him I've learnt more and more and more mm. picked up the various things um, but yeah then and, um, yeah the same with Phil Ward and I we started buying and selling games I've had a few people that have um, been associated with buying and selling and stuff um, and then the only one I've really operated full time with was a, 
uh, friend of mine called uh, Peter Simonovich. We operated as um, the Silverboard Express for a while. Oh, uh-huh, cool. Uh, but that was really the end it's of the boom. Now. Yeah, that was that, that was his invention. <laughs> he, he he yeah. So he was quite enthusiastic for a while. Yeah, while, while the money was good, uh, but yeah. Then the boom it was right. It was right at the end of the boom. So we were doing okay for a little while, but then it just started to be down, down, down. Which which boom are you talking? Oh, about? when we are talking like um, you when you had your you know post we we did we start the crash sort of late nineties, didn't it? Okay, so you talk yeah. about the nineties boom, so ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, when yeah. So we were we were basically operating in the B grade sites, yeah. but they were still good money spinners even at a B grade site. Yeah, and we had, we had quite a few machines out there, so we operated quite well. But then usually the taking sort of you know the crash came and the money went down and yeah. then the sites didn't want the games anymore because they weren't producing the money anymore yeah and that sort of just fizzled out basically um, I've only got one site left myself now that I, that I operate on um, that's no money spinner but it's, you know it's older games that already paid for themselves so what games have you got on there? I've, I've got a one shooting game and I've got a uh, wipeout at the moment got a big wipeout yeah. you like the 90s Scott League so yeah well we'll cover that you've got later yeah we'll get to that yeah so um yeah so with the repairing of the games you know saying rod white he was when he got me to give me a few pointers at 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 the beginning and even on the early side and then i was able to read circuit diagrams and stuff to figure out a lot of stuff do myself and um in recent years it's got a lot easier because um back then like early solid states especially and even parts they weren't so easily available, you know, and the electronic equipment, like EEPROM programming, it was just like, you had to go to a specialised place to get stuff burnt and stuff and all that. <coughs> but I mean, now I've, I've got all that, and logic probes and property soldering equipment and soldering irons. Back then, I mean, a proper property soldering station would cost you like over $2,000, you know what I mean? Now you can buy it with two or 300 bucks, you know, it's like, mm. so that's good. And the and the internet, of course, has um, been a boom because you can download all the ROM data and various test test chips and there's a wealth of information on um you know issues causing stuff so that's made life a lot easier the internet than um what well, and but unfortunately yeah, it was back in the past there was um a, a, a lot of games that's got trashed because this weren't, weren't economical to fix basically mm-hmm. like system would not leaves i mean when the boards died you couldn't buy spare parts for them there was no aftermarket boards there is now but back then so you basically just trashed them mm-hmm. There was, there was no, you know, this took up too much room, and to, to, even if you could find a board overseas that was for sale, um, the machines themselves weren't worth a lot, so they weren't worth spending all the money on. And, and it's saying if a back glass broke, it was the same, mm. you know, back glass, you could get a game that's worth back then seven or eight hundred dollars, and it's going to cost you that to bring in a spare back glass. So you just didn't, if the back glass was broken, you basically just scrapped it basically the machine was scrapped and that was that was the end of it yeah. the world has changed now yeah. yes it certainly has <laughs> yeah um, but even now you come across weird folks that I've never seen before and I had a couple on um, just recently we're working on a, a board for Matt and it's a from Matt Jarvis and um, I've got there in the end but um yeah, there's some weird folks on there. Oh, is that the Roller before. Games that's on Trade Me at the moment? Oh, he's not on Trade Me, is he? Yeah, no, I've got the circuit board working for it. I've got the circuit board working for it now. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's all going eventually, but yeah. Yeah, well, System yeah. 11 um, boards are getting harder. They're hard to get. Well, at the moment, uh, I think they'll, they'll, start to, start, they'll start to reappear. Either Rotten Dog will start redoing them or um, 
somebody else will start making them a thing because there's a, there's a, there's a demand for them they're not like a, I think there's a European crowd that are going to make them um, I yeah. forget where it is so it's a case of just a waiting around but this yeah. one yeah this was a I couldn't get his board working it had some weird fault in it so I found another board that was supposedly had a solenoid um, issue which took me ages to figure out got that working and then we found it had a switch issue so now I've figured out some other got that going so now it's finally Cool. Uh, after three, four visits at the damn game, it's all going now. So, so yeah, I haven't put the board back in the game, but it's ready to go. Yeah. And um, so operating a little bit now, just one site, you see. Yeah, that's just. But you were doing quite a few sites. At one stage, yeah, when, when it was Peter and I, we had quite a few around because he had his machines and I had mine, and then we had joint machines, joint sites um, that we used to rotate games around. Yeah. Uh, but yes, over time it just like you were a bit the same. I think way back yeah, then, you yeah. and you just sold them off because you were making the money. I did, I did sell off a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I kept, I kept going until two thousand and eight, and then kind of sort of sort of got out of it. Then decided it was it was time yeah. to, to to get out of the industry. Um, back in it now, of course, but you know that was that that was then. Um, do you want to talk about the Gottlieb nineties games that you like? Uh, yep, beginning to begin a bit. Um, because you you yeah um, you've always told me that you've, you've yeah well the best thing about those what happens I get people ask me all the time what's the best type of games to buy you know what I get what's the best one to buy now if you want the the um, the most reliable it'll be the got the got the Gottlieb System Three every every tech in the world will tell you they're the most reliable CPU board out there um, my opinion is there's various reasons for that the first one is they use Rockwell componentry. Not, mm-hmm. not Motorola. Um, they also used uh, FETs rather than transistors to yes. drive the coils. Yeah. So that's less troublesome. They don't do the same issues. You don't have all the all the, all the intermediary trips to, to, to drive everything. Thirdly, they don't use uh, rechargeable batteries, and they don't use little three batteries mounted on the board. They use a little um, the little coin type ones, which when they die, they die, and that's the end of it. Little disc one, but yes. they they, so they, they last they, for twenty years. So they, they last a while, yeah, and mm. they don't leak on you. So you, you don't get all the board corrosion faults, and um, yeah, so that stops a lot of all this. Even even a lot of games in a quite good condition, you'll see at some stage <coughs> the batteries have leaked a bit. It'll still be a little bit of a greenery on the board. I slightly. had trouble. I was doing a teed off, and I couldn't get the battery out of the clip, and yeah. it had leaked. And then I what I did, I jumped some wires. Yeah, that's what I've done with mine. I just, just put them on. Yeah. Yeah, but it had been there for so long, 20-something years, oh, yeah. 25 yeah. years. But I think that's a lot of it. They don't... Um, and the only weak point on them is the 5-volt power supply. Um, but that's easy fix. And people go, oh, it's not a very good design. But this is nonsense. Because if you take a data risk game, um, the most common one is that little capacitor on the power supply goes, causes the same problem. And even on the WPC, the BR2 goes on the regulator board, which stops the 5-volt issue basically mm, mm. Um, so that's the same problem it's not yeah. and the Gottlieb one you just got to basically turn it off turn the pot around a few times and clean it up a bit put it back to 5 volt with a meter plug it in and, and away it goes again um, but yeah so if you, if you want reliability um, you Gottlieb games are the, the one they just go and go and go so from an operating point of view if you've got a game that's been out of town you chuck your Gottlieb in there right. and you're still going to get your block coins of stupid kids and stuff Mm. Uh, and broken rubber rings, obviously that go. But from a, from a reliability, they're going to keep running. Yeah, 
those Gottlieb System 3s are the ones that will keep going. Um, uh, people always uh, said the, um, the Data Reese games are the most unreliable of all the pinballs, but they're the easiest to fix. Right. They're the most, because they're just basically a system level board, slightly modified, and um, yeah, on the early Data Reese games, and they're quite, um, yeah, so even though they pack up because they use cheap componentry, um, they're actually easy to fix. Mm. You get common faults, fuse holders break, that little capacitor on the power connect, supply. Connect the plugs. Yeah, so they're pretty... Get burnt. But, um, yeah, they're quite easy to fix. And even the componentry on the play field is, is... But they were made for speed and zippiness, and so they're a fast-playing sort of game. So if you like a bit of excitement... And, um, and your Williams game sit in the middle there for regards to reliability, and um, uh, but there again, they cost the most. So... Mm. Um, <laughs> You can't, it depends on what you want. You want some game that's not going to break down on you, you know, um, then buy a, buy a Gottlieb System 3. Uh, <laughs> Do people like playing them as much as Williams, though? Let's, no, be, let's be honest. No, that's what I'm saying, is that mm. you got, you got, you've got that situation, though, but if you come to buy one, the cost yeah. of them is far less than the yeah, Williams that's games, true. too. Yeah. So if you're looking at your value for money, it's all relative. I remember I used to buy those... Um, like years ago, I was buying a few of them. I think I've had, I've had, had others. I had a um, Waterworld, and I had another one that I sold as well. Um, oh, God, I think, can't think what it is now. Um, I think I had a Street Fighter once as well. I think. Um, they won't make as much money, but they were half the price of a Williams game. Like back then, I could buy a Gottlieb game for twelve hundred dollars, and a Williams game of equivalent age was like two and a half, three thousand dollars. Mm. And so even if they did half the money, you're still on the same thing, and you had less breakdowns. Sure. And if you came, if you, if you came to sell it, you get, it's really easy to get your money back on $1,200 than a $3,000 game, you know, back mm. then it was, um, so it was all. And some of them are quite good earners. Um, Shack Attack is one that's a consistently good earner. Um, There's you know, a guy I know in the States, he loves his Shack Attack. Yeah, it's, 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 it's never a huge earner. But it's never a crap earner. You get, you get some games like 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 with Williams, um, Flintstones, never makes any money. Mm. Uh, Tommy was a data race, never makes any money. Just doesn't really just do it, you know. Um, for the but from a playing point of view, I don't, I don't know why, but from operating, they just don't make any money. Um, and yet some of those Gottlieb ones because they swipe some. The other one we did really well on was um, oh, Gladiators, the, the Gottlieb, you know, the Gottlieb Gladiators. That's just what I call a bashers game. Mm. you basically got a pile of drop targets and some ramps and that's basically it but any idiot can walk up to it uh, play it understand it and it's got enough on it to you can just bash targets down and go up ramps yeah um, it's a nice big wide funnel ramp isn't it the, the uh, yeah and then it's got that little thing that moves back and forth so yeah. it's got enough on it to keep you entertained um, and I found with like teed off is another one it never flops it doesn't do huge money but um, it's not so simple you just got to get the eight He's going to go for the, the 16, oh, was it? Oh, the, the different number of um, golf golf hole, yeah. holes. Light up the balls at the back. Yeah, the different mm. golf holes, and you complete it, it lights up the multi ball mm. and the rest of it, and away you go. It's mm. got a bit of comedy on it with little comments, raining cats and dogs, and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> um, and as I said, they don't really break down on the circuit. I've had an issue with, I think, my teed off on the sound, but I got around, they had sort of cheated that because it was um, the volume. Now the speech was too high compared to the background sound, but I just increased the resistor on one to drop the uh, speech down, and then you just turn up the volume bits and now it's working mm. okay. But then in between times since then, I noticed it's a, it's fixed itself. 
So now it's... Um, it's a common fault with those 90s Gottliebs is the fuse holders on the on the, the power supply box. Um, they tend to get a bit brittle. And oh, the only thing... The only one I've ever had with those that's been an issue with was my teeth off was um, that fuse holder issue. And, yeah. they, and they keep blowing fuses. And they keep getting hot on the fuse holder. Yeah. And what it was in the end, it was um, bad... It was crapped out um, actual light bulbs. Oh. The actual fittings themselves were shorting internally. They must have broken down somehow, and they were creating a, a little short on the um, on the fuse, and then it would just basically over time build up, build up, build up until it would blow the fuse. You know? wow. And then of course the fuse holders would so you put a little bit bigger fuse and thinking well maybe it's a little bit bigger, and it would last a couple of weeks and go again. I was like what the hell's causing this thing? And in the end I dis- discovered it was um yeah. I, went around with a meter and all, every single fuse on the play field and found three of them I think that were slightly, slightly shorting changed those and the problem stopped right yeah and so you um, you find that you've got a lot of repair work uh, yeah I people? usually pick up a, probably two or three a week it keeps me going because I only do it part time I only do it like I have a full time job a full time but an office based job doing customs work on from Monday to Wednesday mm. and then the repair work is um the, the, the other days of the week yeah um, and you do get some that are real pain like yeah. you can take your ages to work on stuff and I've got a yeah, discontinuous stream of um, trying to fix other people's stuff for them basically wow yeah. do you work on modern games um, haven't done I've done I've worked on the, probably the most modern one is a um, ACDC I've looked at um, and a another both I've worked on two ACDCs yeah but yeah, and I've done a bit of stuff on, um, like, on the SAM system. Yeah. Yeah, but not a great deal. Yeah. That SAM system's pretty good. Yeah. That's I, quite that's quite a reliable, good system. It yeah. seems to be based on um, the White Star, which came before yeah. it. Um, it's not the revolutionary spike system that we've got now. No, but it's quite... Same thing, they've gone to FETs on that as well, as opposed to the transistor system. So they've, they've obviously discovered what Gottlieb did years ago that FETs are far better than using the transistor setup. Um, and yeah, so I've done a bit of work on them, so I have to carry a few more spare transistors now. But um they yeah, but just What do you really think of the build quality of the SAM system games? In terms of the, the metal parts or the playfield parts? Not had much to do with that side of it. No. Um they've both been issues with well one was a a locked on some trans or one of some of the it was a burnt out fit actually and it had take, taken out a coil and there was an issue with a, a wire had come off something but I never had to do anything in regards to replacing um, you know, you know, most of the stuff I deal with is more for home market type of stuff and I find a lot of that stuff you're going to find you're probably doing it more because you're op- operating them but average Joe Blow who buy, buys one for home they're not going to get the use mm. So they're not going to get the wear and tear on them and probably light bulbs and rubber rings will be about the extent of um, yeah. the, the issues that they're going to experience. Like the one that Dave bought recently, what was it? And he had, was it 200 games played on it? Some, what was that, the game? That Avengers game or something? You know? Oh, oh yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, something new. He brought, in, brought it in from America, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah from some, <laughs> some mansion over there. Yeah. Um... Should we talk about um, you? You work a bit with Clive, eh? Clive, oh, yep, yep. Clive, Clive has a website um, and sells parts. Yep. Uh, to the home market. Yeah. So, 
so with Cliven, I first met Cliven about, ooh, must be about, about 20 years ago, close to it now, I think. Um, he was, I hadn't been doing much with regards to buying and selling um, bin balls for a few years. Um, I got m- married and moved in here and doing stuff. And, um, and it was more operating, operating was still going over. Anyway, I saw he was selling a Sega EM Carnival pinball. And I thought, oh, I've got to look at it. And he was living in Blockhouse Bay then, so I drove up there and had a look. And um, ended up buying it. And then he also had a, um, this is in the days of a trade and exchange, but it didn't have um, trade me back then, it was all trade and exchange stuff. Phone up, went along, and he had a Gottlieb 60s uh, sing along sitting there with the, with the play field up. And he didn't know who it was or anything. And um, I could see he'd been working on it. Mm. And he said, uh, I said, Oh, you're having problems with it, eh? And he goes, Oh, yeah, got this little thing that keeps sticking. I've been trying for weeks and weeks to try and fix it. I said, Oh, yeah. Let me, let me have a quick look at it. And he says, um, do, you, do you know a bit about them, do you? I said, yeah, yeah, quite a bit about them. Let me have a look. So within about a minute, it was all working and going. <laughs> and um, he was, you could tell he was a little bit, oh, this this is, okay, right, I guess it's a pretty good person to know. And um, yeah, so we kept in contact. And uh, Clive used to come across various, um, he's good at hunting down machines and stuff for sale when he comes across different people. I'm t- I tend to just do the repair work. I don't, hunting for games for Saar and stuff and they come across them and come across them so he came across a few games and we started to buy them do them up at that stage he was in Blockhouse Bay so he'd come over late at night and we'd work in the garage there and clean them all up and right. selling all sorts of stuff off and then since that time um, he has moved down south a few, few different stops so he had one pinball back then now he's got about close to 30 I think 20 yeah. odd or something yeah. Yeah, from, yeah. now he's got someone to fix them for him and um yeah, and then we started buying bits and pieces, and then one day we were talking a similar thing with me and Phil, and I said, um, we, were, we were commenting about, oh, God, I, oh, you should look at these pinball parts. You know, if you buy one, it costs you bloody mm. X amount. If you buy 100, it's bloody, you know, big fat 40% off or something. And then he said, it's a bloody pain in the ass, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, so I sort of, so we sat there and we sort of thinking, well, maybe, maybe we just buy 100 of them. What do we do with the rest? And I said, well, how about we just bring in like, you know, hundreds of every single rubber ring size, for example, and then try and sell them to other people out there. There must be similar people like us out there in the same boat that need one rubber ring. And I said, if we can buy a hundred and get the discount, that'll probably make up for the postage cost. And, you know, we can make a little bit of profit on them and and sell the stuff off. So we decided to do that. And you know, I, think we, I think we just started off with rubber rings and light bulbs, I think. Uh, that was the most generic sort of thing and he started selling bits and pieces people asking then it just grew from that um, so we so basically Clive runs that side of it yeah it's yeah. a really valuable resource and he's yeah. got his website so it's grown and grown and so Clive's into his computer so he's got the website and stuff and then uh, recently we've got the um, the uh, home pin as well because, I, because he was saying home pin would bring out various boards and I said oh, I'll write to him and see if we could be his in agent as well and he was, he was a little bit, oh, I don't, I don't think a little bit that easy. And I says, well, I remember the days of Phil Ward, I said that to him as well, and he got the agency. So, um, yeah, he, he contacted Home Pin. Yeah, Mike, someone, yeah. He could be yep. in Home Pin, said, yeah, fine, we don't have any, you can do. So we're now the authorised seller. We, we, we've sold, I think, two or three of the um, the, the uh, CPU boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's about it. There's not a vast, there's, there's only a small market, so we don't, but you know we can't get the stuff, and we, we try to carry a few, you know, up to 
think we've sold out of those CPUs and he can't supply them at the moment. He's there's a RAM issue. We can't locate the, the supply of RAMs everywhere right. he's um Okay. So they're in the they're in the pipeline to be arriving, but it's the, the suppliers, and it's the same with a few other places I've seen. Um, they can't get the NV Rams or something right. at the moment. <coughs> so yeah, but it's basically for Clive and I. It's um, you know we got wives and stuff, and I don't like you spending money, mm. and so the, we have a similar agreement with him and I is that um, yeah we basically make a bit of money out of it, it pays for our hobby, and it doesn't 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 come out of our work money. So I'm a bit the same with my wife. You know, the little money on the side, make out mm. as mine to mm. spend on mm. games as they want. Sure. So we're not really doing it as, um, you know, there's, there's not a, it's really a hobby type little enterprise Just and it helps people out the same because um, in the same boat that we were in is you just want little bits and pieces and you've got yeah. to spend a fortune on postage. No, it's a really it. good resource and his website yeah. is pretty, um, pretty you know, um, a good way to connect with him. Um, yeah. Was it Clive that found Yopi in Tarpa? Yeah. I know I keep going on about Yopi, but yeah, let's, right. yeah. let's talk about that story because I went to see Yopi before <laughs> you guys did. And yeah, uh, he was in a grumpy mood, he wouldn't let me look at anything. Oh, yeah, he's a, um, yeah, even we had um, dealings with him a bit. Um, we, we were, yeah, Clive, I think he might have been similar to you, he wasn't interested, in, but Clive kept persisting a little bit and said he was down that way anyway, and because Clive used to do a bit of work with um, with his work, travelling around for the for, for the brewery, setting up yes. the pub systems, you know, the computer side of it. And he went and saw him, and one day, um, the OP must have been in a good mood, as you said. Yes. And he went there, and... Um, this he, is in Taupo. In Taupo. And then he did some sort of deal with um, um, Yopi for, um, with his EM games. Right. And I said to Clive, um, yeah, okay, so Clive sort of did the, did the deal. Um, yeah. With you know, basically whatever. So I drove down because I I'd all I think uh, Clive and I both went down. That's right. right. We both went down to look at these games. That's right on that on that occasion. And um, there was yeah. So we did did a deal with them, and you were also asking about the defender pinball. Yes. <laughs> and that that was sitting on his workshop up on his arse end, and the head box was pulled off, and there was no circuit boards in it, no legs. And I saw it there, and I went. I can remember playing that game at Fun City when it was, you know, there's, there's only, there's only ever two got imported. And I one got destroyed in a fire just just, 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 just up the road from here. Right. There used to be a place called Zippity Zaps and an operator, Bryce, Bryce Quigley used to operate it in there and it got destroyed in there. And the second one used to be in Fun City. Right. And that's the one that's at Yopi's place. Right. So, yeah, so him and, I know Yopi and Roger had some sort of arrangement. There's a lot of stuff so they seemed to come through Yopi or Roger and they seemed to, I don't, know, I don't know what the setup was. Um, yeah, so I saw that there, and he had, I think we bought about six or seven EM games off. I remember there was a couple of Toledos, um, a big Indian. Um, I can't remember the other ones, though. Well, they were they're all pretty much Williams games, I think, from memory. And um, we were there talking about it, and we agreed on it. And I said, um, yeah, okay, we'll do the deal. Can you chuck that defender in with it? And he said, because to him it was, well, yeah, okay. So I ended up getting that defender pinball. Because we should mention there's only... Chucked in for free. There was only 275 of them made, is that right? 
So it's a very rare game, and yeah. I only played it once in Australia. Dan Robar had one in, no. at the Aussie Expo, but it's the only yeah. time I've ever seen one to play. Yeah. Of course, being a Defender title, um, yeah. such a popular video game, um, made into a pinball format. Yeah. Um, and so, so you brought the Defender home? And um, you yeah, got still a, sitting in the garage there. I'm going to say it didn't have any circuit boards in it. Yes, but that one <coughs> we didn't have room to fit it on board. Um, and I'll have to come back and get it, which is all right. Anyway, at that stage, you, you want to talk about the bingos, and he had some bingo games there. Right. So Clive used to do all the end, you know, to deal with them. And Clive was down here again, and he said, oh, "I'll come down and um, pick up this defender sometime." And um, I said, oh, ask him about those bingos. What does what he, what he want for the bingo machines? Yeah. So he gave, I can't remember the price now. I think it was a couple hundred dollars each for them, or thereabouts. And, um, yeah, it was a bit of a dodgy little character, really, because he had them stacked up in the corner, and um, he basically, him and Clive did a handshake deal. Yep, that's the price. And then Clive contacted him and said, um, We'll come down and Phil's going to come down and get But they were mine, they were Clive's. He mm. just did the deal for me. Phil's going to come. And then all of a sudden, the price went up. He wanted more for them. And then uh, Clive said, no, no, that wasn't. We, we did a deal. We shook hands. That was the deal, done deal. And um, he goes, oh, no, 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 they're worth more than that. I'm not, not selling them for that. So I said to Clive, no, tell him to forget it. Don't worry about it then. Leave it. And anyway, it must have been a few months later. arranging to um, go and get the um, the Defender pinball, I think, was it? Or something, I remember we did, did a few trips. And um, the he or went and asked him about the bingos again. So then his price dropped back to the original price again. Right. Right, so, okay, that's, that's fine. Yeah, I'll take them. All done, I'll come down and get them. So I went down, oh, sorry, on the first trip, what I forgot to mention, we went down there and he wasn't there. Right. Right. He, he wasn't even there. He forgot all about it. Five so we driven all the way down there. To, <laughs> yeah. And it was like, oh, great. Anyway, he's got a crappy little workshop you've seen there. So we had some tools in the back of my car. It's only a wooden shed. So I pulled some panels off the side of the um, the shed <laughs> and broke into the broke into the shed <laughs> and got this thing and um, loaded the stuff up. And then yeah, the fender was an earlier one, that's right. And when I was loading the stuff up, I noticed on the bench there was a... The soundboard for it was actually had on the board Defender written right. on the EPROM. Oh, that's the soundboard, that's bonus. Put it in the car anyway. He wasn't there, and I, and I left the money under a tin on the, the thing. Went back out and re hammered up the, the panels that had torn off the side of the shed, and he was none the wiser. So, anyway, Clive texted him and said, Oh, Phil's been down and he's um, he's found the he managed to get in there anyway, and he's left the um, the money under the tin on top of your bench, you know. And, um, oh, that's not really good, breaking into my place. And blah, blah, blah. And then, and then Clive, was close, close to be quite polite with him and said, um, oh, the uh, oh by the way, Phil managed to find that soundboard that he sort of said that you've left out, you know, for, you know, thinking that he'd left it on the bench for me. Oh, no, that that wasn't part of the deal. That That's not part of that game, you know. <laughs> and we were like, no, it is. But he's actually got written on the EPROM, Defender, you know, it's a Defender. It's for that game, you know, it's like... Yeah. So he was a bit of a grumpy mood, so he did that. Um, yeah, so when he went down to get the bingos on another trip, he had, had them all stacked up in the corner, and then he says, oh, there they are, blah, blah, blah. I think it, 
Who was it? Three of them, I think. Was it three bingos? Three, three bingos, I think. I took one. I took Bonanza, and I think there was about Sick three. Bonanza. He was. I got a Bonanza. No, it wasn't. Oh, you. Know, I. I got a Bonanza. Uh, a barley. There must have been two bananas. And there. then there was the one downstairs, which is stock market, I think, or blue chip, sorry, blue chip. And I think I think it was their price was five hundred for the for the three. You know, right. they weren't going, stacked it on the corner. I said, yeah, I'll take the mine. Was I just always wanted to try and fix some bingo machines? And um, so he goes, oh, give me the money first before you take take them out. And I was like, this is a bit strange. And I said, yeah, okay, right, you know. So I gave him the money. And then I started pulling them out. When I got down to the stock market, or blue chip, blue chip, I think it is, um, the, the glass has got about four big cracks in it. You know? So he, he he goes, oh, it's all there. It's all, you know, it's all there, it's just cracked. So he, he it was like, so he, he obviously knew that, and that's why he wanted me to give him the money first, right, right. up front, before I could start moving him out of his shed. But he wasn't going to tell me that the, the, the one was cracked and broken back glass on the thing. So I've never bothered getting that 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 one. It's downstairs here. I'm, yeah. I'm, I can get a back glass in from a place in Europe now that you know, does a big decal for them. So I might do that, but it's, that's way down the list of um, jobs. So tell me why you like the bingo games. Uh, um, but the same, I just liked them. And I started reading about them and seeing them. Someone said, and a mate of mine, the guy Rod White, he worked on a couple, said, oh, those are the most complex EM game you can ever work on. He you said, should explain that they're flipperless games, games. Got, yeah. with a, a grid of holes. Yeah, which maps up to a bingo card or Mix. bingo cards. So they were gambling. Pinball, yeah. So the like, idea is you can win up like a thousand credits on some of them. Um, if you get like five in a row, it's a bit like playing a you know, housey bingo card. Mm. Um, but each one is actually quite different and it's like you get three card games, six card, six card games, like that Bonanza you mentioned. You can turn the corners of the numbers around during the game. Um, then you got that odd one that that that, that this universe that I got a few that's only a twenty ball one where the, the, the screens go back and forth. Yes, yeah. that's right. And I got one from the states called um, Mystic Gate, which has the rebound rubber gate lifts up and, and it lights up, so you can even make the ball not bounce off it and go down that side to get numbers on that side a bit easier. Right. Um, and that has sliding numbers too, so you can move the numbers back and forth. They're very um, complex in the back. Oh yeah, they're full of motors and relays. And um, and Rod remember told me a joke once. And um, another guy I told us he was quite offended by it. And I told him, and um, he said, "Oh yeah, there's more money of those than scrap metal." He says, "Just burn them, and all the copper wire you'll get out of them is worth more than the game." He says, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they're, "They're a massive headbox. You need two people to put one on. Yeah, you can't mount a headbox by yourself. It's, the bases got hardly anything in them." And headboxes are this massive special, like Bonanza, for example. You've just got to get two people to lift mm. it to get them on. And the legs are actually reinforced as well. They have extra plates um, welded onto them because of the sheer weight right. of the things. But, uh, right. Well, yeah. they wouldn't have been legal to operate without a license. No, they? you can because they, they don't pay out. Right, I see. Especially for amusement only. Yeah. But um, they're basically set up. What you do is um, if you win all the credits, say a thousand credits, if you turn the game off and back on, it takes off all the credits. And I mean, it has meters inside, so it knows how many credits were actually, you know, how, how many coins have gone in and how many credits have, have gone out um, by way of turning the game off and on. <coughs> and so what happens is that you'd put it in a site close to the bar, obviously, and of course the, you'd put you pump your money into the thing. And uh, they must, and then of course, then you'd go to the barman and say, "Oh, it's got like you know twenty bucks worth of um, 
he'd give you the twenty dollars, turn the game off and count off with a meter. And clear it. And when he and they must have made some money because I remember the ones I got off Yopi, he'd cut big holes in the bottom and mounted extra huge cash tins that were a good twelve inches deep. Wow. To actually hold all the money in them, obviously, because um the sheer money that must have got in them, they were they were good that deep. Incredible, eh? Yeah. Um, so you with with in your travels with um with with repairing games, do you ever get a person that just says, "Oh, look, I'm done with it. Just take it away." Yeah, you get some of them. Um, I personally try to talk them out of it if I can. I had one recently with a guy with a Paragon. Um, he bought it with the house that was left in the garage, and he wanted to know what it was going to get to. And the CPU board was just corroded away. He needed the, the displays had about three of them with faults, and I basically said to him, "Look." I can sell you a new C, a new CPU board for about four hundred dollars. Your, your displays you're probably looking at two hundred. Oh, he says I don't. He says I don't, I don't want to spend more than a thousand bucks on it. Now I could have turned around and said, okay, I'll give you a thousand dollars for it, but I said to him, well, it's all going. You probably get at least two and a half to three thousand dollars for it, but it's pretty tidy. Um, and so he started to, started to think about it, and I said, oh, okay, yeah, okay, okay. So he worked it out. He could do it for less than a grand to get it all mm. new, new, new CPU, new new displays in it, and some rubber rings and a bit of a tidy. The playfield on it was pretty good. Back glass had a bit of a chunk that had come off, but um, the, you could just paint it black, so it wouldn't look pretty good. The, the cabinet was okay, and so in the end, he actually um, decided to keep it and spend a bit of money. And I think yeah, he sold the board and told me to buy the um, the, the displays. And I haven't heard from him since, right. so I'm assuming he must have got it all rest of it's working um, I find a lot of people out there they have a bit of an attitude as they can make money they'll just lie to people and buy the games off them um, I don't do that I think it's not, not ethical they're, they're employing me to fix their game mm. or B be honest with them what's it going to cost and what's it worth mm. um, and I'll tell them what I you know tell them you know but you know I have brought the odd one where, um, in the past but it's usually you know, at a fair market rate, if someone, you know, if it's not going, I say, well, you know, if it's going, it's worth X amount, but it could take me whatever. And I don't lie. I mean, I always I, like with Clive sometimes, he tends to jump in and buy stuff. And I'm saying, hang on, you gotta look, when you buy stuff, you got to look at the worst case scenario. Mm. You're buying a game that's dead, like a special solid state. It might need a new CPU, could be display stuffed. I said, you got to take all that. Oh, no, but it might just be this. Yeah, it might just be that, but it could also be mm. a lot greater mm. than that. Mm. So I basically take a selling price, take off what it's going to worst case scenario, then they come to a, a you know value. You know, well, well, I see it's probably worth. Um, and people would and what, respect that. And too. what it's going to worst, what's going to cost. I mean, I tell people like you know, they ask us, and I say, well, it depends on what's wrong with it. If this is gone, it's going to cost you that. If that's gone, it's going to cost you that. Yeah. Um, you know, and then quite often they'll, um, but quite often I still won't buy them. I'll tell them, look, you know, if it's a game, I just can't be bothered with. Um, I'll just say, look, you're better off sticking on trade me. Mm. You know, and you'll you'll get more for it there. As then, a, as then, a, then, then I'll then I'll buy it from you. You know, any games that you're currently working on that there's um coming up, up for sale. That you're looking at flicking on. Yep, we've got a uh, Bad Girls, Godly Bad Girls, a TX Sector, Firepower, uh, EM Seventies game called a Godly Top Score. Cool. And then there's a fifties gondolier sitting out Whoa. in that shipping container. You've got quite a um, quite a buoyant <laughs> little workshop happening. <laughs> and the games that you're keeping for yourself, there's quite yeah. a few in your collection. Yeah, I'm selling off some of those. Oh, so the checkpoint. Right. Uh, that's what other people don't quite understand too. People 
Whereas I'm selling off the checkpoint, which is what, 19, what's that, 1990, is it? It's the first Top Matrix game. And I'm buying a game from 19, I'm replacing with a game from 1970. Right. A Bally four player 70 game. And it's like, I remember Clive saying to me, Why are you buying an older one? Why? I said, Because the older ones cost me far less, and I like the look of it. Mm. It's got a layout I quite like. Mm. And I said, You know, solid, I said, Checkpoint's a good game, but I've got a, plenty of solid state games. And I said, it's really hard to find a, what I consider a decent playing EM game sometimes. That's a, you know, and I said, I quite like, it's called our Camelot, it's a Bally Camelot. Oh, cool. I mean, it's got a bit of wear, but it's pretty simple artwork. I don't so. think I've ever seen one. No, it's the first one I've ever seen. It's, um, I bought it up in a second hand shop in um, Fongaray. Right. Um, like it was 700, I think. So um, your collection would be what? 20 or so, 20 or 30? About 40, I think. 40, 40, 40 games. with the bingos. Yeah. Yep, yep. And then in addition, I've got about six shooting galleries. Um, and there's some other odd, um, like the Stripper. Got the Stripper, that's a famous game. It used to be in Luna Park in Auckland for many years. You're shooting the clothes off the girls, and it's like, but it's done, it's, it's done with a um, Kodak, one of those. Um, this um, is this is a a, a seventies EM game. A shooting. Yeah, what you do is um, there's it's one of those what they call ectograph, the ecto, what they call um, the Kodak, okay. s- s- slide projectors. Right. So it's a pile of slides. It's it's not fully nude. They sort of you shoot them down so they're basically naked, but they're turned or their boobs are covered. You right. can't. <laughs> it's made. You know, it's made in the early seventies. Yes. But um, it's basically the, it's got a mechanism inside that moves around. And then you control the handle with a target on. You're going to shoot the red dot on the girl. Right. And if you shoot it, then it goes to the next slide. Which right. Take a bit of clothing off. I think there's about probably fifteen slides to each set. There's about four girls on the total thing. Oh wow. Um, and you got so much time to do it. Is it Taito or? No, that's uh, the company was called uh, Universal. Universal. It's, a, it's, right. it's an American. Um, right. Um, company. I've never heard of that <coughs> one. Yeah, no, it's set in Luna Park for many, many years. Wow. And people would play it just, and I had it in the um, when the classic cinema was playing porn movies. Right. Um, my mate was the, the manager there, and I used to know the owner Jen as well. And I had it, and I had it in there for a while. People would go and put fifty cent pieces in. And That's a, hard. A, a play case. on it. That's hard. Case. I'd love love to um, see that one. Is that in your workshop at the moment? Yeah, you can't really get to it. It's not working at the moment. It. I've taken something out to do something to the projector. I think. But yeah. yeah. It, was that a bit like the gun? You know, the gun smoke with the cowboy that used to rotate on a drum. No, a the, the, this one's basically the uh, the projector's mounted on, on on a moving platform. Right. And the motor turns it so it floats around. Right. So on the screen, you see it's moving like this. Right. And you've got a control arm. You're going to try and line up the dot. Right. Oh, you I push see. a button to shoot the little red target. Wow. That's intriguing. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Um, <coughs> so your workshop, you talked about your workshop that you can't get to a lot of stuff. I know I've bought the Stellar Wars off you a few years ago, and it was a bit of a mission to get it out because it was at the yeah. back. Um, but uh, it's, it's still much the same. Yep. Yep. Probably worse. And you've got stuff under the underneath the... Yeah, under the house well. too. There's about six pitbulls under the house here at the moment. Wow. Um, I do remember foraging around there for the hyperball parts and I yeah. bought a back glass. Uh, you had a part of that hyperball down yeah. there. Yeah, there's loads of pitbulls parted out and all sorts of um, and Which is a pieces. valuable resource now. Oh, yeah, you, some of the old bits and pieces. Yeah. When you're looking for things. I go, I go digging around there occasionally, dug out something the other day off some... Oh, I got one of uh, a guy with a 1960 darts, Williams, and it's broken a little piece on the slide bank, a little relay thing. Right. You can't buy them now. No. But I've got a whole heap of them there, so I've got to, that's in the back of my cart, but I've got, I've got to fix it for them. Right. So I can pull one, one of those off an old 50s game I've got sitting down there. Wow. It's the same thing. 
Yeah. Wow, that's cool. And what about um, back glasses? We were talking before about preserving them. Because... Yeah, well, I've just found putting three coats of thin acrylic clear from you buy from White Tennis Home. Right. Seems to work. The only thing you can't tell, what's it, what's it going to be like in 10 years' time? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've put them on and I've touched them after and they're quite, they're on. Right. Um, and it doesn't react. And I think with the thin coats too, you don't, you're talking about the triple thick stuff. I think that triple thick, if it starts to shrink or whatever, you've got a big chunk of stuff moving at once. Yeah. Where three thin coats, you don't get all three coats aren't going to move. You only get one that might shrink a bit, and then it doesn't. I've, I've used got... triple thick, which I'm not sure you can still buy in New Zealand. I used to get it from Spotlight. Okay. And I used to do it in small, in thin coats, even yeah. though it's called triple thick. I'd do a light coat and then a, yeah. and then a second coat and possibly a third. Um, but I've done games 20 years ago with that, and they're still, still okay. Yeah. Still the good. other one I've done is too, sometimes like on the Bally 80s games, they used to do like a big decal, and they used to peel up a big chunks, but the chunk is still there. Right. And I'd glue those down with a PVA glue, because the PVA dries clear, and then go over the, the top after, and that seems to... They get that kind of bubbling effect. Is yeah, but yeah, and some of them will blister, and then they'll actually flake off, so you get a big, big chunk of the back glass will be just floating around on the back there. And if you catch it early enough, so I just put um, um, PVA glue underneath, and it's quite thick as well, because you can press it down and it, right. it holds it down, and then when it dries, it's all clear, and the PVA is quite flexible too, so it tends to, um, okay. um, it holds, you know, it sort of flexes a bit. When you put I've always down. been too scared to um, do anything with them, I just leave them alone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I haven't really haven't delved into that. It's an interesting technique. Yeah. Um, so, what are your views on the current uh, pinball market? Like, you know, just the collector market. Um, and yeah. Um, site, you know, site market these days. I think, from operating point of view, the only way you're going to make it economical is like the way you're doing it, taking your hundred percent of the money. Um, what's happening now is my personal point of view is that. The prices are high because historically in the past, what op- operators would buy the games, put them in shops, run them, and you can get. We'll take, for example, you know, games from the, like from the 90s. They'd be like six, six or seven thousand dollars brand new. Um, operator would run it two or three years, and they'd probably make that money out of it in that time or more, and then they'd flick them off with, for three for three grand, right? So. And if you've got one of them a bit older, you get it for like two grand. You know? That's how it used to work. So you had this constant flow of games coming in and, and operators making all their money then flicking them on to get the money to chuck at the new games. And that was the mm, way it went. Sure. But with the home market being so big now, that's not happening. People are buying them for home. Now, people at home um, don't get any revenue out of them. So if they go and spend you know, $10,000 on a game, it still owes them $10,000 effectively five years later. And we in the old days of operating, five year old game would be worth half of what it was new, you know. So a ten thousand dollar game would only worth five now, you know. But that's not happening because people don't recoup the costs out of the games. Mm. Um, and so of course people are hanging on to them because they they, they perceive it as oh if I paid ten I sell it for five, I'm losing five thousand bucks, I might as well keep it. And so you don't have that flow of second hand games coming in. Which is then is the bit a bit a bit like the property market, like where the property market in Auckland boomed, everywhere else went up as well, because you you know you get a comparative thing. So if if games are ten grand at the top end or more, your games that, that used to be a thousand bucks are now also coming up 
because it's like, well, oh, hang on, I could buy one ten thousand dollar game or ten one thousand dollar games. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, so of course you go, you go with the ten one thousand dollar games. Right? Um, so of course that's all moving up now, and um, there's more people getting into the home market than, than it ever was, and getting, and people aren't just buying ones and twos; they're getting threes and fours and fives, and so of course all the old stuff's just slowly getting absorbed and going into in, in the people's collections. And it's all a bit of um, supply and demand, and it's a worldwide thing. We can't, like, say, oh, we'll import stuff. I mean, Dave brings a few in from the States, but even then, I think he's not getting them at the bargain prices that he would have done at, at, at one stage. Um, and it's just a case of, um, yes, worldwide, and you can't say, oh, we'll just bring some more in from wherever. Because um, even Clive and I were bringing a few in from out of Europe once, and we brought a few in from Europe, and it, they were, it was worth doing still, mm. but not now. It's just not, the prices have just gone up. And we're seeing games like Indiana Jones and Twilight Zones going for like more than they were brand new. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So the, that's the, what I mean. There's no... It's like people remember those games too and they want one because they remember playing it and it's a case of... Um, and as I say, you can even buy... Let's say, for example, you, you can go and play the latest... Um, like, I don't know, Black Knight game, for example. Um, and you go and play a Twilight Zone. Now some people, I I remember this story. We once we went went to Willie's place one day. My son went with us, and uh, Willie when he was um, in, um, in Linfield, my son went. He'd never been to Willie's before. And he started playing the games, and he had a because at that stage he had Iron Man had just come out, Spider Man, and he had some old ones like Fish Tales and stuff. And my son was playing them. You see, so because my son wanted to try the Iron Man and the you know, the Spider-Man and stuff, and afterwards, what he says to them, so what was your favourite game here? Which one did you like playing the most? And my son turns around and says the fish tales. Um, and I think people are seeing that, like some of those older games play just as well or better than the latest and greatest game. And um, I personally am a bit the same. I find like, you know, fish tales is a great game. Um, and I'd rather play that than a, Spider- than a Spider-Man myself too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people it's the same it's like Twilight Zone it's got so many things on it it's got mm-hmm. a great theme um, and so people are thinking well it's probably just as good as a brand new one and also people have got, got the sort of a mentality of also they seem to find I find it with doing repairs a lot of people don't know and they're newbies and they buy what everybody perceives as being the, I read online that this was the best one yeah the, the um, collector's list yeah, and they go by that. And I, and I remember um, Byron out at, you know, he, uh, Byron in um, Cumu, he made that mistake a bit. But he says he's learned a bit now because he bought so, a few games that he basically went by off online ratings when he got the games. No, doesn't like them. That's when he bought the, um, like, like, like the Star Trek. He said he got it home, played it, got it all going for me to put one of those converter things into it. Um, he didn't like it, so he sold it. Mm-hmm. and so he was the same he brought various games because he went on what everybody said was the the one to get and that has a habit of pushing up prices as well because people perceive it as being oh you know they're looking at them as sort of semi-investments as opposed to a toy to play at home sure you know and it just but I think also it's nice if people have the opportunity to play something before yeah. they buy it but often they don't so they buy it blind yeah and then and then and then try it out once they've got it yeah, and then they discover they don't, don't really like it and they try and sell it on. But of course, they don't want to lose money either. So they, uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Hey, I think we're just about run time, okay. to be honest, Phil. Thank you so much for talking. Um, any closing thoughts? Uh, not really. The only one you did when you when you quickly was you were asking about what you think where the future of pitball is heading. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody's got this big thing about when Gary Stern dies, you know, you know because he's, he's he's not in it just for the money. He's an enthusiast, and things could change a bit. But I personally don't think so because new little companies are coming along, and we had the same thoughts of when. Um, like in the early 80s when Williams talking about Defender the production of pinball just went down 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 That's and right. got, got me closed up and we reopened as um, you know Premier Technology and yeah. Bally got rid of sold themselves and then, then when the um, when Williams closed as well you know in the in 2000 it was like oh that's the end of pinball it's going to be ancient history there's always someone coming along mm. that keeps it going well, look at the spooky games, the latest Halloween yeah, game, sold I mean, out within an hour. Yeah, that's what I mean. Look, look, there's always somebody, and I think if Stern doesn't keep going, um, you know, it's, it's, let's say the bean counters take over like they did, did with Williams, and so it's not, can't, can't, can't be bothered anymore, um, there'll be someone else who'll just fill that slot in the market, and they'll start selling more games. It mm. just seems to be, and it's a bit the same with um, parts, you know, mm. people talking about that latest. Uh, spike system and stuff you know oh you know what's going to be like in 20 years from now but it's a bit like 20 year old there's such an aftermarket game production of boards and circuitry and things now I don't think that's going to be and like a lot of like you were talking about home pit he's virtually asking his um, his people who sell his products well, what are people wanting because I can make it so he can virtually make any part you want if there's a demand for it sure so for 20 years time if all these spike games start dying um, I'm pretty sure because they sold so many of them someone's going to come up with a replacement like even that pinball 2000 there's um replacement bits and pieces yeah in there. that's yeah. true there'll be there'll be a there'll be a player to to provide yeah and I've got I've got, I've got the same with um the, the, the latest on that um the board we go out of France that all in one um, the, the Pascal Yannon. No, no, another one in different France to make it. It's for the belly games. It's oh, a, C- okay. and a CPU and soundboard for every belly game, speech games and everything. And it's like a, you just plug it in, and it's got one tiny little chip about as big as a 10 cent piece that basically runs, you know, that, that, that's the process and everything else. Um, and it plays the sound perfectly and it runs, it, like it, it just does the CPU and the sound. So you basically unplug your soundboard and you just put this, you, put, you just plug it into the. And you've got dip switches and you change it to the game and it plays every single yeah. belly machine, every single sound. That's amazing. Perfectly. Yeah, Dave emailed yeah. me about that. <coughs> yeah, that's remarkable. And it, and it brings to life all these lovely old yeah, games. Yeah, I bought a couple of them in a few oh, a few months ago. I showed it to Dave at Yee's funeral. Right. Yeah, Dave had never seen it before. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. Hey, yeah. I think we'll wrap it there. Yep. Okay. Thanks so much, Phil. It's right. been uh, lovely chatting to you. Thank you. Yeah.